We're going to read this morning Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, uh, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in his holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would uh, just be with us this morning as we as we look at your word, as we uh, open it up. We ask that the Holy Spirit would be present, that Christ would be uh, exalted. We thank you for the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that you have hidden in Christ and revealed uh, through him. And we have these testimonies of him through the God-breathed word, the Holy Scriptures. We thank you for this. Oh, Lord, today may you just feed and nourish us in your word. Give me the words to say. In your son's name we pray. Amen. feel like a kid in a candy store. Uh, I like the book of Romans. Romans is, is an exciting uh, book. Uh, it used to be my favorite book of the Bible, but now it's kind of my second favorite. Hebrews is my first. But, but they're, they're right up there at the top. And, and you want to, when you get into Romans, you, you just want to feel like you're, you're doing it justice. This is probably uh, the most, uh, all of Scripture is God-breathed and profitable, right? We looked at that last week. But but Romans is probably one of the most fundamental passages of Scripture uh, to understand who we are in Christ, to grasp the nature of the Christian life, what Christ has done, how we live now. It, it gives us such riches of, of truth and doctrine and teaching, and it also gives us such practical things. Particularly as we move in towards the end of the book, you'll see there's a, a shift in Paul's tone as he he teaches us how to apply the doctrines uh, that he's given us. So I really hope you'll pray for this series. Uh, pray for me. Pray for uh, us as a church that we would learn from God's word, that he would feed us, that God would, would grow us spiritually through the word here. Pray also that God would, would grow the church through, through the preaching of Romans, through the preaching of the gospel, particularly as it comes out uh, in, in the book of Romans. That being said, if you, if you want to kind of prepare each week, read through a little bit of Romans. Uh, do that on top of your reading through the Bible in a year. I'm not going to let you out of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, don't be afraid to look ahead a little bit and say, okay, well, what's, what's coming next week? We'll be uh, picking up in verse 8 and, and going through uh, a section next week. So I kind of feel like a kid in a candy store this morning. As you think about the book of Romans, Paul is writing to a place where he has not yet been. You see, we ended the book of Acts uh, before Christmas, and and we talked about how Paul gets to Rome. We know that Paul went to Rome. 
But we forget when Paul writes this, he has not yet been to Rome. Did any of you ever have a pen pal? A pen pal that you, that you never met? I had one for about two letters. I think that was about all that we threw back and forth and we forgot to, to write each other. But what, what do you say to someone that you've never met? What do you put in writing to them? Paul is an apostle and he's writing to a church that has already been established in Rome. We think what happened is uh, on the day of Pentecost when, when there was that speaking of tongues in Acts 2, we find out there were people from all over the world. We think the church in Rome got started by people that were there that heard the gospel and then went back to Rome. And so it was started fairly early, but it was started really before the gospel itself had had spread as the apostles are going out. Remember how they kind of spread out centrally in, in emanating rings from Jerusalem. But Rome is out here and it started already, and uh, the church in Rome, and Paul's going to get there. That is his great hope. At the time he writes, he doesn't know how he's going to get there, but he has this burden to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and Rome is, in a way, because it's, it's, it's like the New York City of its day, Everybody who's anybody goes there. People come from all over the world to go to get to Rome. It's, it's the center of, of where the nations are gathering, where the gospel needs to go as it's going to the nations. And so Paul writes to a church that he hasn't met, and part of what he does is he introduces them to the gospel that he preaches. Now, the gospel that he preaches is the same gospel that they would have believed, but there is this sort of making sure we're on the same page, making sure that they they really understand what has happened in Christ Jesus. They heard the gospel. They heard it preached, again, perhaps by Peter. They left and went back to Rome. They've shared it with some of their friends. This is a, a very young church spiritually. Whether you are young or old spiritually, there are wonderful things that we can continue to learn from the book of Romans. Wonderful truths about the Christian life. Our main point this morning is that in the gospel, God calls you. What is the gospel? If someone walked up to you and said to, me, to you, in 30 seconds or less, give me the core of the gospel, what would you tell them? If you believe that it is the gospel that saves you, How would you communicate it to someone else? What would you tell them? What is the core of our Christian faith? In the Gospel, God calls you. But I want you to notice in this passage, the message of the Gospel is not primarily about you. It's about Jesus. Paul introduces himself and he gets right to the point. This is about Jesus. How has God saved you? What has God done for you and for me? Paul says, let me tell you about the gospel of God, which is about Jesus. So often in our day and age, we make the gospel about ourselves. Now certainly in the gospel, as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive the gift of salvation. But it's a gift. You didn't do anything for it. It's, it's not about you. 
at Christmas, you give thanks to the giver of the gift, the one who put them under the tree. So it is in the gospel. We give glory to God. We give praise to the to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are going to know the gospel, we need to understand who Jesus is. Here's a, a thought experiment for you. Particularly those of you who have read Romans a number of times and, and perhaps are familiar with Reformation tradition. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith uh, for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Most of us take those two verses as the theme or the center of Romans. There's a certain truth to that, but, but the thought experiment for you is, what if the theme of Romans is verses 2, 3, and 4? Who is Jesus? Now, the gospel is about a righteousness from God. That is a major theme in Romans. But even more so, the theme that Paul introduces us to is God working through and in Christ. First, God calls you and I to look at Jesus Christ. When God calls us in the gospel, he displays the Lord Jesus to us. This is who he is, and if you believe in him, you can receive salvation. The gospel is not about you, it is about Jesus. Notice that Paul starts out with himself being described as a slave to Jesus. Paul, a servant, some of your translations might say a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. The word here is doulos. It, servant is almost too mild. When we think of a, a servant, we think of someone uh, who can pick up and leave any of a bond servant, even a slave, someone whose authority is, is not their own. Now, slavery is a great evil, and we have awful history of slavery in America, but even in ancient Rome, slavery was different than it has been in some ways throughout history. In some ways, it was the same. In some ways, it was the same. Or in some ways, it was the same. In some ways, it was different. But what I want you to notice here is that Paul describes himself as belonging to Jesus Christ. A slave, a bondservant, one, one held by another. Paul has, knows that he has been bought with the price, the, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul is called, the Lord said to him, and here he's talking to Ananias about Paul, he says, go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine. He's mine. He belongs to me. I have called him to be an apostle. I have set him apart. And Paul will tell us in, in the pastoral epistles, I was the chief among sinners. God did not set apart Paul because he was a good guy. God did not say, wow, that Paul, look at him. I, I can really use that. 
not set apart because of who he was, but despite who he was. In the same way, when the gospel calls you to salvation, it calls you not because of who you are, but in spite of who you are. It calls to you and I as sinners, alienated from God in in rebellion against him. Paul says in Galatians 1.15, But when he who set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, God calls us and calls by his grace. Grace is that which we do not deserve. What is the gospel? He says here, Paul, a servant, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The next three verses, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4, will dive into what is this gospel that Paul was called by and set apart for. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been called by God to the gospel. What is it? What have you first believed? If you are not a believer, what do you need to believe? There are a number of places we could go in Scripture to answer this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That, even though Paul doesn't use the word gospel there, he says, this is the most important stuff. This is of first importance. He has similar things here in our passage. He was said, set apart for the gospel of God. And then he says, which, now we're talking about this gospel, which he, God, promised through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the Scriptures and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, First, the gospel was promised in the Old Testament. The gospel was promised in the Old Testament. Why am I challenging you to read through the Bible in a year this year? Why am I saying get into your Old Testament? What do you find in the Old Testament? The promise of the gospel. You find Abraham believing in the gospel. You find his descendants believing in the gospel, a gospel that is yet to come. They're they're looking ahead, but they are being saved by faith alone because they're trusting in God who will bring the gospel. Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 26. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ Jesus, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages and has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writing has been made known to all nations. There's this idea here that the gospel is a mystery that is revealed. Not a mystery in the sense that they didn't know it was coming but a mystery in the sense it is laid down in the prophets and the prophets long 
to look into the time and the age that this will be fulfilled. They know it is coming, and when it comes, it will be like an opening of a great door, and you will see the mystery revealed. But until then, it's like the door is closed, and, and you're being told, this is what's on the other side. Wait for it. Look for him. Put your faith in him. And now in Jesus, he has come. The gospel was promised in the Old Testament. Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time. And God wanted it at just the right time, at the filling up of time, the center of human history, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. The gospel concerns the son of God. Notice what it says, concerning his son. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. Romans chapter 9, verse 5 will say, Christ, who is, quote, God over all. Jesus Christ is truly God. He is equal with the Father in power and glory, and yet He is an eternal Son. There is one God in three eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we should not confuse the Father and the Son. The Father does not die on the cross, but the Father sends the Son to die on the cross. And yet at the same time, we say that they are equally God. I understand that the Trinity is in part a mystery, but but this is what God is revealing in the Gospel. This is who He is, and he, He sends His Son that we might see him and know him. What does it say about this son? So the gospel concerns the son of God. That's number two. Number three, the gospel is that Jesus Christ came as the son of David. Look with me again as we continue through the verses. Who, now it says concerning his son, and and this is what I love about Paul, right? He has these long sentences and the grammar hangs together. So he says, you know, the gospel of God, which, so that which hangs on the gospel. Then he says, you know, concerning the Son, who, and that who hangs on the Son. And so if you, if you were in your English class, you would start to diagram these all out. And, 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 and it just gets, it gets complicated, but it gets exciting. Concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. What does that mean? But in his human lineage, in his DNA, he is from the line of David. This is part of the promises that were laid down in Scripture beforehand. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, that David would have a kingdom given to his offspring, literally his seed. The same word, descendant, here to be translated offspring or seed, the seed from David. And so the promise is, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for you an offspring after who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Christ has come in the flesh, Romans 8.3. Uh, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, By sending the Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus had a true 
human earthly body so that it could be broken for us on the cross so that literal, real human blood could be shed. If you were to take the blood that Jesus shed and you ran it through tests, you would find human DNA. You would find a human blood type. I don't know if he was O positive or AB negative or A or B positive or whatever. But, but whatever it is, it was human blood. He had a blood type. He had a genetic background with genetic markers. He was connected to the line of David by physical descent. God sends the eternal Son into his creation as one of us, but also comes into the kingly line of David so that God could keep his promises to David so that there could be a king that arises from within humanity, from within the house of God, or house of David, to be the Son of God reigning and ruling. This is good news. Because God's keeping his promises. God's plan was to raise up from the line of David someone who would be the highest king of all the earth. The king of kings. 89, the firstborn over all creation, meaning the one who inherits it all, the, the ruler of everything. And, and who does God do this in? His Son. But specifically, His eternal Son who has now been made the human, the Son of Man. This is part of the Gospel that God gospel is that Jesus is a king crowned with the Lord and power. Look at verse 4. And was declared. So again, looking at the grammar, concerning the son who, number one, was declared, uh, was descended from David according to the flesh. And so we're back to this concerning the son who was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So there's a lot of little clauses that, that start to hang out there. Jesus the Son is declared to be the Son of God in power. And we should actually translate this something like he was appointed Son of God in power. He was set up as Son of God in power. So on the one hand, we have the message concerning the Son, who is the eternal Son. On the other hand, Jesus comes in lowliness, right? We just celebrated Christmas, and we talked about the, the baby in swaddling clothes, his, his glory veiled, as it were. But in his resurrection from the dead, it is, it is a, a coronation of the King. He is crowned in glory and honor. Glory that he had from before the foundations of the world, but now revealed in and through his human resurrected body. The, the resurrection, as it were, is the, the, the crown 
set upon the Son who is being raised up as the Son of David. God is putting David's descendant on the throne when he says, sit at my right hand. That great verse from Psalm 110. Jesus, who, who dies in this lowliest of lowliest humiliating conditions, is now raised up in power. He is put up for everyone to see as the king. Come, sit at my right hand, says the father. Now, the son has always been part of the Godhead. But now he's got this resurrected human body and he goes up physically into heaven. This is what it means in in Scripture when it says in Acts 2.36, let all the house of Israel, this is Peter's great preaching, the the culmination of it, the, the main point, the climax at the end is, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Acts 10.42, and he commanded us to preach the gospel and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God. Acts 17.31, because God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is Jesus being made the king. Now he is king in his humanity. In other words, he's always been the king. He's the eternal son of God. No beginning, no end. But at a point in time, he he takes on humanity and becomes just like us so that he can die as one of us, so that he can be raised up and live as one of us, so that he can rule over us, but also rule announces to us not only the death of Christ, but especially here, the resurrection of Christ. It proclaims to us, Jesus Christ is Lord. If your gospel presentation does not lay out that Jesus is Lord, you're not presenting the gospel. 
representing the whole picture. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He rose again from the dead. He is the son of David. He is now raised up and ascending to What it means, Messiah, what it means when we talk about Jesus here being the Lord. He is Jesus our Lord. He is this king. He is this ruler. By the way, can you imagine sitting in Rome and getting this letter and you take the scroll and you unfold it and the first thing you see is that Jesus is the Son of God and he is the Lord, the Kyrios, they called Caesar who is living pretty much right down the street when you get this letter? The Son of God. The Kyrios. The God and Savior. Same title used for Jesus in in 2 Peter. Can you imagine why some of the Romans didn't like the early Christians? Fascinating when you think in chapter 13, Paul says, submit to the governor. Submit to the Caesar. Don't worship him, right? But submit to him. Obey him. He's an authority. But Jesus is the ultimate Lord. What are those things in our life, in our world, that we give pride of place? That we give a sort of We make them more important than they really are. And maybe even directly or indirectly, subtly even, we start to take away lordship from Jesus Christ. We stop giving him the amount of credit that he deserves. The gospel is not just telling you how to get saved. who Jesus is, the one who saves you. You can't have a message of how to get saved if you don't have a message about who is the one who saves. He's the king. He's been raised up in power. This this guy who was lowly and beaten and cursed and spat upon, who, who no one cared about who had nothing physical that people should be attracted to him or drawn to him. He's now been raised up in power, the power of God, the same power that Paul will describe as working in the gospel to save us, is the same power of God that God used in the Holy Spirit to raise Jesus from the dead. Jesus is Even before he came to earth, he deserved all of the worship, all of the praise. He is truly God. But how much more do we have to just bow down before him and say, you are awesome. Because even though he had power and glory, he set aside the riches of heaven. 
And when you and I see him in the last day, we will see him in a glorified body as the king, the son of David, is what God calls you to. He calls you through this message, get saved, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but He calls you to it. Come to Jesus. Come to this King of Kings, this wondrous person. Oh, that the Gospel would blow our minds as we reflect on the majesty of the Lord Jesus God calls you and I to grace and peace in the gospel. That's our second thing this morning. God calls us to grace and peace in the gospel. Look at verse 5. Paul says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. Grace is received through Jesus Christ alone. And for Paul, grace and apostleship Go together. Why is that? Well, think about how he's called on the road to Damascus. The same moments where he sees God's glory radiating out of heaven is the same moments where God says, by the way, you're going to be my apostle. I'm sending you to the nations. You're going to learn what it means to suffer in my name. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Christ bids a man. He bids him to come and die. When Christ calls someone, He calls us not only to salvation, but, but to be this slave, this bondservant. We now belong to Jesus. And the grace that saves is the grace that transforms as it is the obedience of faith. I take this here to mean faith which produces obedience. That, that the first thing about believing is you, you, do, you are obeying God when you believe the gospel. God says, believe this and you will be saved. And when you respond by faith that looks outside of yourself and says, I trust Jesus, you're doing what God wanted. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For the Lord says, or for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed that he has heard from us. So, believing is responding to God, hearing the call. It's, in a way, obeying. But faith also, living faith, true faith, will bring with it acts of obedience. So, Romans 15, verse 18, For I will not venture to speak of anything 
accept what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Romans 16, 19, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice in you. And I want you to be wise as to what is good, as to what is evil. When you get saved, you, in an act of faith, confess that Jesus Christ is Savior of the world. And what that faith brings along with it, because the Spirit of the living God is at work in you in those moments, is faith brings you to life. And life produces obedience. Life bears fruit. You are alive in Christ Jesus and dead to sin, Paul will say. So later on in Romans 6, he'll talk about us being slaves now to righteousness. Why? Because you and I belong to Jesus, the Lord. As he says here, Jesus Christ is our Lord at the end of verse 4. Notice Paul's mission to take the gospel to the nations for the sake of his name. Notice there, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. See, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. There is not, as, as Piper says, there is not one square inch of creation which Christ doesn't look at and say, it's mine. So what do we need to do? Christ rules over everything. Where do people need to know that Jesus is the Lord. Everywhere. Every inch that Christ rules over is to be a place where we take the message for the sake of Jesus' name that Jesus is Lord. Did you ever have still watering. When someone says to you, let's say you went out to eat on Friday night, and someone says to you on Monday morning, hey, what did you do this weekend? What's the first thing you're going to tell them about? Man, I had this awesome steak. You have to go to such and such restaurant because their food is amazing. You, you in a sense, become an evangelist for that restaurant. Why? Because you tasted the food and it was good. We've seen that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord and the ruler over all things. The, the son of David who came in the flesh. The, the one raised up in power. You want to take this into all creation to everybody you know. You need to just talk about it a little bit. And maybe you just say to them, man, 
I ever told you how awesome Jesus is? Have you ever wondered why I go to church all the time? Have you ever told you what Christ did for me to save me? Where I was and who I am now and how God and Jesus Christ changed me? That takes this message to all the nations. All the nations need to hear it because Christ reigns over all the nations. These are all creations. And on the one hand, our motives, one of our motives for evangelism is so that the lost would be saved, so that people would not go to hell, and hell is a real place, and we want them to go to heaven. Notice here that Paul's number one motive for evangelism is Jesus. The motive for evangelism is to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why Jesus came. But Paul goes out and is evangelist first and foremost for the sake of Jesus. Who does he want to hear is so great? Jesus. And sadly, and I include myself in this, we are often not gripped enough with the greatness of Jesus. And he describes this Jesus here in the passage as as, as one who's also saved us. So he says the gospel needs to go out among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus. So Paul has started in verse 1 calling himself an apostle called, or yeah, someone who is called to be an apostle. Now he says also, we are the people, Rome, you're among the nations called to belong to Jesus. Guess what? Unless you are Jewish, and, and if you are, I'm, I'm not mocking that, but unless you are Jewish, you're in this among the nations category. The, the promises of the covenants and of David were not by physical heritage given to us unless we come from uh, a Jewish heritage. But the promises and the blessings extend to all the nations. That's why Paul will say the gospel is first to the Jews, then also to the Greeks. And Paul's saying, guys, you are part of this. God has called you to this gospel. He's called you through the gospel, but he's called you to what? To belong to Jesus. Literally, it's just the possessive. He's called you of Christ Jesus. Jesus is the Lord, and God in the gospel as he saves you, calls you into his kingdom, and you belong to him. The gospel is not about you, it is about Jesus. He says here, grace and peace from God. responses that we surrender. We say, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and the response is that that cultivates faith. And the response is that that faith should lead to obedience. 
And so many of us are at various stages of our walk. Maybe some of you need to come to saving faith. Maybe some of you need to believe. Maybe some of you, you've heard this a hundred times. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. But suddenly now today, the eyes are being opened. The scales are coming. Jesus really is coming. You need to put your trust in him. Maybe some of you have just had a bad week and you're wavering somewhere in your faith. You kind of came in wondering, well, you know, I know Jesus is important, but I just don't really feel like he's that some of you are struggling with areas of your life that you need a greater obedience. It's kind of strange that you know that you're vulnerable. And you need to bow before the King of Kings again and say, Lord, I really blew it this week. I need your help. Please forgive me again. I know I'm saved. I know I'm forgiven. But Lord, didn't say, I kind of did this to be controversial, I didn't say, who is Jesus to you? Because it doesn't matter what you think of Jesus, Jesus is always going to be the Lord of Lords. So the question you answer first is, who is Jesus? Is he the Lord or is he not? Once you answer that question, it becomes pretty evident who Jesus needs to be to you. But you start with that objective. Who is Jesus? When you share the gospel with people, you're not just telling them, this is what Jesus means to me. People will say, oh, but that's nice that Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is the Lord. You either repent and bend the knee and stand with him, or you stand under his judgment. But there will be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And the privilege of being a Christian is that God has called you and opened your eyes so that you see that.
continue our work? What can we do that can trust you? Pray that this message would feed us today. That it would strike us right in the heart. That we would say again, you are awesome, Jesus. That we would come before you and repent of some sin that we might have. and Maybe yield our life in some way that we've been holding off and pretending to keep it from you. Oh, what silliness, Lord. Lord, help me in my life to be more Christ-like. To talk more about Jesus. To reflect on his lordship and, and be willing to talk about his goodness. To just say to other people, Jesus is amazing. Lord, we don't even have a Caesar around us that's proclaiming to be Lord in a literal sense. Thank goodness that our presidents and our great country are not exalting themselves to be the Son of God or claiming to be. Lord, we have it easy in comparison to these Romans. We had to worry about being thrown to the lions thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. Oh, Lord, we just pray that you would work, that your spirit would enrich us and enliven us. Give us great insight into this passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray.